Welcome to All Things Greater Burlington, where you will hear from the movers, shakers, and changemakers that are moving Greater Burlington forward. Here is your host, Stephen Brody. Welcome to All Things Greater Burlington. It is a pleasure to have with us today Darvin Kendall, the Education Coordinator for the Des Moines County Regional Waste Commission. And uh, Darvin, I just want to say, first of all, welcome and I appreciate you coming in today. I really appreciate the chance to be here. Thank you for asking. You were kind enough to allow me to tour the facility at Area Recyclers um, some time ago, and I was just blown away by all the services that are provided. You were very kind that you shared uh, specifics like what is accepted, what is not accepted, really got to the weeds of uh, of all things that are recycling. And so I really wanted the opportunity to delve into that a little bit. So I guess, first of all, tell us what is the Des Moines County Regional Waste Commission and perhaps what is not the Des Moines County Regional Waste Commission? That's a great way of putting it. Um, well, our commission uh, was formed back in 1990. It's a 28E uh, intergovernmental agency made up of the city of Burlington, West Burlington, Middletown, Danville, New London, over in Henry County, uh, Mount Pleasant, Salem, Rome, Westwood, Winfield, Morning Sun, uh, Mediapolis, and also the, the county of Des Moines County, all uh, members of the commission. So they all came together uh, for the purpose of solid waste management in our particular part of the state. And that includes landfill, includes recycling services. Uh, we're very fortunate to have a very uh, good and uh, viable household hazardous waste program and an e-waste collection program as well. So there's also a Recycle to You gift shop that happens to be located inside the area recyclers facility. So and all I of would that, enc- yeah. I would encourage people to visit that because I was amazed and I thought some of that stuff there was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, uh, uh, brief. Uh, we'll just do, sidetrack to that, I guess. <laughs> briefly, the Recycle to You store was created uh, probably around 1995 or so. Uh, with the purpose of showing off materials made from new new materials made from recycled or reused items. Now, not necessarily uh, flea market type materials, not that I'm saying anything negative to that, but these are actually new products that look look like a new product. For example, the bird feeders made from uh, plastic milk jugs and things like that, the baskets, the flower baskets from milk jugs. Uh, you know, we have the reused bottle lights, uh, uh, liquor bottles turned into lights that are really cool, things made from bicycle parts and so forth. So um, it gives people a chance to see something that they might not realize made, could be made with a recycled material. So that was the purpose of the store. But I appreciate you saying that because it's not really well known. We don't have a huge budget. We don't uh, mark up the material in the store very much. We simply want to buy new products. So we want to get stuff out there to people. So thank you. And so if anybody wants to check it out, can they come by during normal business sure. hours? Yep. The store is open whenever the uh, office is open, which is 8 to 4 Monday through Friday. But the commission was formed in 1990, and basically what we do is any solid waste generated in this particular area um, comes to our landfill. Uh, we provide the recycling services via curbside recycling for the communities, or we have the rural drop-off sites that are open throughout Des Moines County for people to use for recycling. The household hazardous waste facility is open to anybody in our area as well. 
and that allows them to bring materials like uh, maybe uh, oil-based stains and paints, uh, paints and varnishes and things like that, or, or automotive chemicals or pesticides and herbicides, stuff that uh, you know maybe they moved into a house and found the stuff in the garage and they didn't know what to do with it. Right. And throwing it away isn't really the best option. So we have that household hazardous waste facility that they can use. Just call for an appointment, tell them what you've got. And it works really well for that. So uh, everybody uh, on the commission uh, has the ability to vote, but not all members do have a vote for it. So, for example, uh, this, uh, Rome and Salem, they just have representation just because they're part of us. Uh, but everybody else has a, a membership or a seat at the table, I guess you could say, for the commission. Burlington has two because of the size, and everybody else, like Mount Pleasant and so forth, has one member uh, that, that is on the commission. And each of the segments that you were talking about, household hazardous waste or recycling, you name it, does everything come to West Burlington, or are there like satellite locations throughout the county? So for the recycling, we do have the drop-off sites located throughout Des Moines County. Uh, there's one up in Kingston. There's a drop-off site in Yarmouth. There's one in Pleasant Grove. There's a drop-off site just south of town, south of Spirit Hollow, right along the highway. Um, there's a drop-off site at the Des Moines County Conservation parking lot. When you say um, a drop-off spot, are those manned or unmanned? It's unmanned. It's just a, basically like a roll-off container. Um, with different compartments in it. Everything is labeled for what we take and where it should go. And we really appreciate people that follow those directions. Sometimes they have a little trouble with that, but uh, that's part of having a public drop-off. We understand that. But uh, those are available to anybody to use. They live in the county. Obviously, we can't provide curbside recycling to every house in the county. Um, That would not be fiscally feasible. So providing the drop-off containers gives them a chance to do that. And we also have a drop-off container in our parking lot at the Area Recyclers Facility. It's a much larger drop-off, uh, well-lit, video monitored. You can use it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Okay. Is there, is there anything in particular that somebody should automatically know, I can't take that in somewhere. I, I can't recycle it. What what specific items should come to mind that people would say, okay, I, I know they won't take that? Yeah. We hope that one of the top items that comes to mind that unfortunately we aren't able to recycle is styrofoam. Mm. Um, styrofoam packaging, styrofoam peanuts, um, styrofoam of any kind, uh, which is a number six type plastic, by the way, so you will sometimes see cups that have a number six on them, um, and that is considered styrofoam, even though it doesn't look like what you think styrofoam is. Um, but any type of styrofoam, uh, we're not able to take. We don't have a way to, to market that. We don't have a way to sell that. Um, basically, the plastics that we take are proven markets for recycling. I can tell you exactly what the items are made into, Um, how they're recycled. Um, When you get into some of the things like styrofoam, it gets a little bit questionable. If somebody says elsewhere that they're taking their styrofoam in a larger area perhaps, I can't automatically tell you they're not recycling that, but it does pose the question of what they're doing with it and how they're handling that. So most people should just put that in their trash. Unfortunately, it's going to be something that goes in your trash. Now the peanuts... Which then ends up in the landfill. It does end up in the landfill, right, which you know, is not great because it's lightweight. It blows around. Uh, it's not ideal, but styrofoam is a fantastic 
packaging medium because it's lightweight and protects your products. So you yeah. you save a little fuel on the packaging side of things, but there's a little bit of a headache on the back side when you really have a good way to get rid of it. Um, I will say styrofoam peanuts can be reused, and some of the local shipping companies might be uh, interested if you have the peanuts. If you take a bag of styrofoam peanuts into them, they might appreciate that because they can use it for their packaging. So reusing is part of this recycling triangle, um, so we don't mind you know, reusing whenever you can. What got you into this, Darwin? What, what, what is it that fascinated you that, you, that you've been there as long as you have? Yeah, um, good question. I started a little over 20 years ago, actually. Um, prior to that, I worked for Hope Haven for nine years. Um, I was in their employment services program as a job developer, help people with disabilities find jobs. So I've always been somebody who's wanted to do something that can help people, I guess. Um, I get a lot of satisfaction from that. makes me feel like I've done something at the end of the day if I know I help somebody. And this was maybe an extension of that to some degree because I can help people figure out what they want to do. Is it need to be recycled? Can it be recycled? How can it be recycled? Is it something that goes to the landfill? Because there are things, like we talked about styrofoam, unfortunately, the landfill is the where they go. Um, some people bash landfills. I will tell you, we're always going to need a landfill because there's always going to be some kind of trash. So it's important to have a responsibly well-run well landfill. But uh, I like getting out and helping people and talking with people about, you know, if you've got a problem with this, how can we figure out how to reduce your waste, how to recycle what you've got, you know, those kinds of things. I, I enjoy that. Did this start when you were at Hope Haven? Because I know Hope Haven has, what, a, a recycling or a redemption center, correct? Hope Haven has always had uh, affectionately called the Can Barn, I suppose. At least that's what it was, and I think still uh, is affectionately called. It is their redemption center, um, and they've always had that, at least as far as I can remember. It was there when I was there. Yeah. Um, and that was a great way for them to, to get some kind of revenue um, from, a, from a recyclable material because they can handle, take the uh, handling fee for the materials, the cans and the bottles and so forth. Yeah. Um, they've since expanded. Um, they're hopefully your store uh, is a wonderful way of reusing things. Um, but when I was there, it was basically just the Redemption Center. Sure. Okay, let's talk electronics. Sure. Electronics everybody has, can't live without. I actually had a situation recently where I have a, a DVD player, which I thought was still working, and it's not. So I don't want to throw it in the trash. I'd love to recycle it. What do I do with it? So uh, out inside the landfill is the Haskim Center. It's in the same building that you are, when you drive into the landfill and you cross the scale or stop at the scale. That building there also houses our Haskim Center. And inside there is our e-waste area. Okay. And that's where you can take anything that's electronic related, whether it's your uh, DVD player, VCR player, cassette player, uh, radio or uh, record player or anything like that. Uh, you can take that there. TVs are also accepted there. TVs are a slightly different material um, in that they cost quite a bit more because there's a lot to them and you have to be very careful with them. Televisions are $15 each for recycling. Uh, any other electronic item like your DVD player is $5 minimum. Okay. So you could probably take three or four items in there before you would exceed the $5 minimum. So all of that would be $5 total. And what happens to those items when they're dropped off? What, I, I, it, we're taking it to the landfill, but what do you do? Do you end up like 
demolishing, breaking them down? Great what, question. What do you do? Great question. Our tel- all of our electronics uh, go up to Scott County. They have a large uh, e-waste recycling program up there. Um, they received a grant from DNR several years ago to, to purchase a very large, very interesting, at least to me, machine that dis- disassembles televisions. Um, which is great. It's sealed so that the lead and the so forth can't get out into the atmosphere. Um, they pull the different parts of the TV uh, are separated, and then they can recycle that from there. Um, there are other items that they have, such as your VCR or your DVD player or something. They send they send those to an electronics recycler for disassembly. They can take the wiring and so forth like that. Yeah, and I was gonna I, I was gonna piggyback on that. So. What of the electronic equipment is able to be recycled versus the remainder, I guess, being junked? And that's a good question, and I honestly will tell you I don't have a complete answer. Yeah. It's my understanding that the circuits or circuit board that might be in something could be recycled. The wiring can be. The housing gets a little bit more complicated because it's plastic, and it may or may not be a recyclable plastic. So some of that may end up being Landfilled, but what's the what we would call the bad stuff inside there? The the lead that would be on the circuit boards or something, and the soldering, those things can all be recycled and reused. I want to delve into talking about the the coded numbers that yes. people see. This this was a great conversation that we had, and I really appreciated you sharing with me. And 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 folks, go to Des Moines County Regional. Uh, waste DMC, Commission. DMCWaste.org. Yes. Yep. Uh, there is a tremendous resource library of information there, and you'll you'll get these these items of information to, to help educate you. But when you look at your cartons, when you look at your milk cartons, when you look at different things, you'll see uh, oftentimes a triangle with a number inside yes. it. And I'm sure many of you wonder, why does this have a number two? Why does this have a number three? Can you give a quick Reader's Digest on the intricacies of that? I will try my best for you. (laughs) Um, So we take one, two, and fives, and you'll see those numbers uh, on the bottom. If you turn your milk jug over, you turn your laundry soap jug over. Uh, Make sure the lid's on first, folks. But uh, turn that over and take a look at the bottom of that. There should be a triangle and it will have a number, any, it could have a number one through seven, okay? We take one, two, and five. That's the most common things that consumers we come into contact with. Um, ones are going to be your water bottles, your, your uh, sports drinks, your pop bottles, things like that. Think of a, a clear type plastic um, that probably has a liquid in it. So typically that's going to be a number one. Your number twos are going to be your milk jugs, your soap jugs, laundry detergent, um, some ice cream, yogurt, uh, shampoo bottles, and things like that will be the number twos. And number fives are going to be uh, yogurt or ice cream or butter, and they'll have a number five. Cool Whip often is a number five container. And we take those because those are the ones that are most commonly recycled. So you, if you see a number three, <clears throat> that's probably not something that you're going to see because that's PVC. So think things like uh, plumbing pipes yeah. and, and har- a hard, rigid type plastic. Generally aren't going to see that too much as, as a consumer. Is there somewhere <clears throat> they can go for those? Unfortunately, no. Uh-huh. No. Um, three, four, six, and sevens, um, and six being the styrofoam, which we previously talked about. Yeah really aren't recyclable. Um, 
there may be markets that I'm not aware of, but they're not widespread. Or the other thing we look for in recycling is consistency. Um, you could have somebody come along and say, hey, we're going to start recycling number three, for example. Um, and they are all excited about it. And they fully believe that what they're going to do is going to work. And it's a wonderful thing to see that happen, but you have to, as in our agency, we have to at least look at that very carefully and think, what's the sustainability of this? Because if they start doing this and six, eight, nine months later, they say, well, we can't do that anymore. It's very hard to re-educate people on that. So we, we're very careful, and you have to look at the consistency. Um, so those three, four, six, and sevens, there's really nothing that we're, we know of that has a viable long-term market for them at this time. Who came up with these numbers? I believe the plastics industry. Okay. <laughs> and I know there's a push now at the federal level to try and mainstream recycle labeling um, to make it a little less cumbersome, I guess is the word. Um, and a little easier for people to follow and understand. So it would be interesting to see how that all shakes out. Um, but as far as the plastics, I believe it was the plastics industry because each of those plastics is made differently too. Um, so when you're recycling, like we have one, two, and five, when they get to where they're being recycled at, they have to be separated because you can't mix one and two and try to recycle it into something. It won't work. They don't play well when they get mixed together and you try to recycle them. So you keep them separately. Talk about for a minute, Darwin, the, the equipment that you have there at the recycling facility. When, when the trucks come and they unload the newspapers or they unload the, the cans <coughs> and the cartons, talk about the machinery that you have that gathers and cobbles that all those items. So the nature of our recycling that we do, um, we ask people to curb sort at their house. And that saves a lot of money for everybody. And uh, we don't have a, a great deal of machinery that would separate your recycling, in other words. So when our material comes in off of the truck, it's already separated into plastics in one area. And you've, everybody's probably seen those green trailers that run around. By the way, we're finally getting new ones, so be sure and look out for those. We're, we're really excited about that because those trailers are 25 and 30 years old. Um, so it's very important for so, the residents to make sure that they separate. To curb sort, yeah. Yes. Re recycle it. And a lot of people, you know, I don't have time for that or I don't want to do that. And I can sympathize. It does take you know a few minutes, but it isn't like it's going to take a great deal of time. And a lot of people, once they start doing it, they realize that, yeah, this was no big deal. I can separate and I get why you want us to do that. And the reason, again, that it comes in off the truck, all the plastics in one area, and you can mix your plastics, one, two, and five. We don't ask you to separate within that. But all the paper is in one area of the trailer. All of the tin and aluminum is in one area of the container. All of the glass is in one area. And all of the cardboard is in one area. So they unload those individually at the recycling center. Yeah. Plastic goes where the plastic goes. Paper goes where the paper goes. It makes it much easier, much more efficient, much less costly for us to process that once it comes in. Um, we scoop our trailer onto a paper trailer. The plastic gets bailed. The tin and aluminum gets bailed. And, you know, the uh, cardboard gets bailed. And, you know, we're pretty well done. We have 24 employees for the entire agency. So it's not a great number of people for the landfill and the recycling center. It's uh, actually 25. But 
that's not a lot of people. So we don't have extra people that could sort and separate. We don't have the machinery for that. Really, we're not quite big enough to justify that anyway. And if we did, we'd, our costs would be much greater because it's a common question. Why can't I throw everything together? Because yeah. I lived in XYZ, California or whatever, and I threw everything in one container yep. and we were done. And I can appreciate that that's how they did that. But for here, again, costs, efficiency, economy, and just the size of our facility too, we wouldn't really be able to do that. Uh, currently, people pay like a three dollar and twenty five cent household three dollars and thirty five cent household wage management fee. Um, if you live in a in an incorporated area, and that helps to cover curbside recycling costs, that helps to cover Haskim Center costs, and that's the only fees we have. I guess at the front end, I should have said that the twenty eight e we're not a taxing entity, so we're not like part of Des Moines County, which a lot of people think we are. Des Moines County's part of us. So we're not a taxing entity. Our only source of revenue is landfill tipping fees, oh. that household waste management fee, and then the sale of recyclables okay. are the three main sources for our revenue. So we would have to increase that waste management fee dramatically if we wanted to try to do automated collection or automated sorting. Yeah. Um, so it's much easier. It's just much more efficient. And, and like I said, people who do it, Often they will tell me, I didn't realize it was going to be that easy. It wasn't hard at all. Or I had my kids do it. It was a great learning lesson for them to do. So, What's your turnaround uh, from when it gets dropped off, it gets bailed and put together, and then your vendor, whoever that is, and you can share with that, comes to pick that up and take it to wherever they go? Um, It depends on the material and the product. I can tell you that we ship out uh, seven loads of cardboard every month so the seven semi loads of cardboard every month that's going to equate to 300 ish thousand pounds of cardboard each month that's the quickest and the largest volume that we have uh paper is one to two paper trailers a month so that's about a hundred thousand pounds of paper and our paper is is broad meaning that we take newspapers catalogs magazines envelopes office paper, it can all go together. I know when we branched out over to Mount Pleasant, um, a lot of people over there were used to the way things were done with uh, City Carton or Republic's recycling when they only took uh, newspaper or office paper um, and were fine with catalogs and magazines and the whole mix. So anyway, little side story there. But uh, the paper is about two semi-loads a month. Okay. Um, Our plastic um, is generally one to two loads of plastic per month. Um, Volume-wise, that's our largest volume because it just takes up so much room. But when you bale a bale of plastic, it condenses down. I think I showed you when you were out there how much, this is how much space it takes for us to hold the plastic and then we make the bale and it goes down to a little bitty bale. That's amazing. So space-wise, that's our largest one. Um, and then uh, aluminum cans, we separate those out. And tin cans, we separate the two. Um, and we did started doing that not too long ago. We were mixing our tin and aluminum, but we're actually separating that now. And we'll do about three to five bales of cans each month uh, of aluminum cans. And But it takes us about four months to come up with a semi-load of um, tin cans, your oh. vegetable cans and so forth. And they get um, shipped where? It kind of depends on where the product, what the product is. Yeah, um, our cardboard goes to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, 
I think I mentioned to you, the world's second largest cardboard recycling mill is in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, International Paper. Fun fact. Uh, very interesting. I've never forgotten that. Very interesting that the world's second largest cardboard mill would be in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. So it goes up there, um, gets made into new uh, medium for cardboard corrugated boxes. Um, our paper, our plastic uh, goes down to Quincy, Illinois. Um, from there, it can go to the plastic can go to Georgia to be made into carpeting or clothing. Um, the paper can be sent to paper mills to be made into new paper. Um, our tin cans often go down to Alton. There's a, a, a steel recycling place in Alton, Illinois. Um, the aluminum cans, again, can go to, to most anywhere. So Wow, that's fascinating. That is really fascinating. Yeah, and we're just one recycling center, too. I always think about that. I was like, we're sending out seven loads of cardboard, but we're just one. And serving a, you know 40,000 people in southeast Iowa, you get into some of these larger ones, you think of the quantity that they generate. So, What would you say the capacity is right now of the landfill? Well, we hope and we believe that our landfill is good to around 2070 to 20, maybe 2080. Um, that all depends on how we act. If we throw away more, it fills up sooner. We throw away less, we have more time. Uh, we do not want to get into a situation where we're trying to build a new landfill. We currently take in about 180 to 200 tons of trash per day. Per uh, day. Per day. Cool. So that's five full days a week. We're open four hours on Saturday. So you're looking at about 1,000-ish tons of trash uh, per week deposited in our landfill. Um, we try to conserve the space uh, with that as much as we can. But obviously, if we throw away less, we'll get a little bit more time because putting a, a new landfill out there is not going to be a fun thing to do. And we don't want to get into a situation where we have to look at a transfer station, which means we're sending our trash to, to one spot to be processed and sent to a landfill elsewhere. Is there such a... Is there such a thing as a, a maximum height that a landfill can be before it's like, no, we, we can't go any yes. higher? Yeah. Okay. Um, our per, there are permits. DNR, of course, uh, tightly regulates landfills everywhere, which is they should. Yeah. I mean, not saying anything negative on that. So there's a permitted height <clears throat> that we're allowed to get to for our landfill. And currently, the highest point now, um, I'm going to... I think it's around 725 feet in height. And when you're up there on a clear day, you can see the media plus water tower from that facility. Yeah. You're looking at, you know, 14, 15 air miles from there. So it's, it sticks up there pretty high. And when it closes, eventually it will be the highest point in Des Moines County. So there is a permitted height. So I always, I tell people, you know, if you want to tour the landfill, by the way, we love tours. Okay. Um, Vertical airspace is our most important thing. This the spot between one feet and three feet. If we can condense that down, that's our most important thing because it's our assets and we need to protect that and make that landfill last as long as we can. Silly question. Is is there anything if, if somebody's driving down the road, is there anything that dis, other than maybe smell, is there anything that distinguishes what what a landfill looks like? Because I know that I, there were times I was driving around and I see this huge, you know, elevated mound. Mm -hmm. And I think to myself, well, is there a dam on the other side? What, what is that? And most of the time I find out it's a landfill. 
Um, the height would probably be one trigger. Um, as far as smell, there might be some smell. You know, we really work hard with our landfill to minimize that. And I think it's a, hopefully a, a testament to how well we do run our landfill. That the, There's some fairly nice homes um, built very close to our landfill. Oh. So, so we What was we there first? A, um, the home or the landfill? I'm going to say the landfill was, but okay. I couldn't verify that. The, I know the property was there, but there weren't homes on it that I'm aware of. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so you might notice the a little bit of smell sometimes, but the height, but landfills are also generally out of the way. Um, they're not something you generally see from a major highway or a road. That being said, if you drive to Des Moines and you get over outside of Ottawa, outside of Oskaloosa, and you're heading up towards Pella, um, you'll see the Mahaska County landfill off to the left of the west side of the road. And it gets taller every time I drive that road. Okay. <laughs> so, and I, that's fine. That's just their permitting, you know, but you will notice that one because um, it's right there and you can see it's, they're actively using it and it gets a little bit taller each time I go by there. Okay. Interesting. Do you still have <coughs> um, a swap shop? We do. Great question. Yeah, that would be inside the Haskim Center. Okay. Um, and the swap shop exists for people who are looking for something um, such as spray paints or oil-based stains and varnishes or uh, automotive chemicals or basically anything that's accepted at the Haskim Center. Yeah. Um, if you brought that in, so Stephen, you brought some in, and they look at it and they think, okay, this is still usable. You know, this can of black spray paint feels like it's at least half full uh-huh. it still sprays you know we're going to put that in the swap shop and then i could go out there and say hey i'm looking for some black spray paint and i go into the swap shop and i've got eight or nine cans to pick from it's wonderful and i don't have to go to the store and spend five bucks on a can of spray paint um so it's a really great resource for for things like you know car wax uh, auto, household cleaners um, deck spray and stains. And I mean, it's a really interesting assortment of, of whatever. And it varies because it depends on what people are bringing in. So we just ask for an appointment for that. If you want to see the Haskim Center, call the, the uh, or you want to see the swap shop, call the Haskim Center at 753-8758. They'll be glad to, to have you come out and take a look. Yeah, I was, I was going to, uh, that fascinates me because I, I, I wondered like, how will people find out about that? And what's the best way for sure. that information to get out there? So your website is a good source for that. The website is good. Our Facebook page is very active too. Um, it's on we're on Facebook. Keyword is area recyclers, and we talk about other things besides the recycling center. There is too, like the landfill and the Haskim Center. So those are good ways to to let people know. And this will also be a very good way. Excellent. Well, Darwin, I think as we talked about before, thirty minutes may not do justice to everything that takes place there. We'll need a part two, maybe. <laughs> maybe so. Well, I appreciate you coming in. It has been a wonderful conversation and education for me, as hopefully it is for everyone else who's listened. So thank you so much for your time. I thank you as well. And I mentioned earlier tours. We love tours. If you'd love to see what we're all about, give me a call at the Recycling Center. Be glad to show you the Recycling Center. Be glad to show you the landfill. Um, adults, kids, you know, generally it's the adults who I always 
find that are most fascinated by what happens because they don't realize it. So we'd love to have them come out. Thank you so much for the time this morning. And friends, take Darwin up on that offer because, again, uh, he really enjoys what he does, very knowledgeable, and uh, you will learn a lot. So thank you. thank you so much for listening to All Things Greater Burlington. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast, and we will see you next time on All Things Greater Burlington. been listening to all things greater burlington with Stephen brody be sure to hit the subscribe button to catch all new episodes to learn more about all things greater burlington visit greaterburlington.com slash atgb